The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson. Here's my co-host, Don Chisholm. Hey, I don't have a bit this week. And tonight, we have a special guest to make up for Don's lack of a bit. Um, tonight, we're going to be interviewing Justin Charles, formerly of First Draft Productions, now of uh, Sando Savant, and currently the co-host of A Dude and a Chick Walk Into a Studio podcast. Welcome to the show, Justin. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Hmm. Uh, so, Justin, why don't we start by uh, you telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a media professional, um, but we're not here to talk about that. I am a uh, an avid old-time radio fan. I love this stuff. I am also a former audio drama producer. I'm also... A geek. <laughs> I'm a nerd. I'm just like, that That literally is all that there is to me. Also, I'm married, by the way. Like, that's that's the afterthought here. So my <laughs> wife, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. But, I mean, I hope she does, but I mean, I'll get in trouble. That does make you exceptional as geeks go, because a great many geeks are not married. So there we go. So that so that, that <laughs> almost disqualifies you, but I think, I think the rest of it will make up for it. Well, I appreciate right. that. <laughs> so... One of the reasons we asked you on, Justin, is because uh, you're from the nation of Trinidad and Tobago, correct? That is absolutely correct. So, just in case our audience doesn't know much about Trinidad and Tobago, can you tell them a little bit about it? Um, Yeah, we're the southernmost island in the Caribbean. We're right next to Venezuela. Um, we were, you know, as any as Caribbean islands go, we were colonies, uh, Spanish first. Christopher Columbus uh, discovered us in uh, 1498, hmm. um, named us La Trinidad for the three peaks in one of our mountain ranges. Um, we were Spanish for the longest time. Then the British took over, as they are wants to do. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we became independent in uh, the 60s. So we've been a republic since the 70s. And so we're just, we're just an island, man. We're just cool. Just, just a cool mm -hmm. line. How, how many people live in Trinidad and Tobago? Um, well, I can only tell you from when I last left. When I left initially, because uh, I've been away for quite a while. I left in 2005. As of then, we had mm -hmm. 1.5 or 1.7 million people mm -hmm. just in Trinidad alone. Right. And so is Tobago literally part of the same nation or is it is it kind of a separate thing? How does that work? Um, no, Trinidad and Tobago are both are both one one country, one country, okay. just two separate islands, but they they operate as the same country. Tobago okay. had a markedly different history than than Trinidad. It's more um, rustic. It's more mm -hmm. the tourist centered um, as, aspect of of our nation. Um, right. Tourism is their number one export, as it were. Okay. Um, 
And Trinidad is more of the, you know, day-to-day living kind of thing. Right. Okay. Well, what are what's Trinidad's <coughs> major exports then? If you're not focused on tourism, what are you producing? Oil. Uh. <laughs> Oil. Black gold, baby. Oh, okay. Okay. So also, so, also, also, soca music. The steel pan, which was invented there, you mm-hmm. know, the steel drums with the, you know, we, we invented that. Right. Um, oh, okay. Huh. So, you know, we, we export a lot of um, oil is the, is the major one. Um, right. But, but yeah, we, we have a, a, a vast um, culture, mm-hmm. cultural, cultural impact in, um, in the world today. Hmm. Right. Wow. Hmm. Not bad. Okay. Well, speaking of culture, so I'm assuming since it was a British colony for a while there, um, the main language that you speak in Trinidad is English? Absolutely. Um, is that the only language or you guys have another one as well that people commonly speak? Um, no, we, we speak we speak English. Um, I left out a little part. Um, at some point, we had French um, inhabitants in our island, like the mm-hmm. Spanish, when the Spanish took over, um, eventually there were, you know, the island was underpopulated, like, aside from, mm-hmm. you know, slaves and, you know, those kind of things. The island was underpopulated. And so um, the plant, the Spanish um, reached out to the French people in um, French planters, rather, in uh, places like Haiti, you know, and mm-hmm. told them, like, hey, come on over. Planting's good. Mm. And so we... We have like a tinge of like French influence. Like we have people who speak Patois, but that's right. kind of like uh, a dying kind of thing. It's more and more streamlined, more English. Right. Hmm. Okay. So you've definitely got the Spanish influence then, and the and a little bit of French and a little bit of everything. Really, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um. So then, what are the major? outside cultural forces on Trinidad? Like, are, what countries had the most influence culturally on your culture and day-to-day life there in Trinidad in the modern era? Um, America? That would make sense. <laughs> I <laughs> well, mean... Well, that's, re- that's not required. You guys are next to Venezuela, and Brazil's not too far away, and yeah. you, you do have, uh, you know, there's England as well. You guys have other options. You don't have to... You only be influenced by America. I mean, that's that's absolutely true. But um, you know, our 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 school, like our schooling, our school system, and our mm-hmm. our government system are still you know still follow the British the British right. systems. Like so, mm-hmm. um, we we do that, but never really feel the impact of change until you've been away, yes. as it were. Mm-hmm. And so, but when, by the time I left, I left in uh, two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Um, things were still coming up on like things were, we were still tech, we were technologically, I gotta say like three, two to three years behind, I would say like the United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but like after the first year of me being in the United States from 2005, to 2006, and I, I went back first the summer, mm-hmm. the, 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 the changes, like just the technology changes, just like, it just sped up. It just, mm-hmm came right back at me as it were i was like oh i I just left america what am i doing back here Uh, (laughs) oh my gosh but yeah it's it's we've always been um influenced by america like we've received our local channels like we back in the day 
we only had like, well, I remember a time there was one television channel, um, and then we got two, and then we got three. But we've always had like American TV shows. Like we we didn't mm-hmm. really have locally produced television content, mm-hmm. um, at least at that time, and or yeah, or beyond, not many beyond the news anyway. Well, yes, beyond the news, absolutely. And so we got like we got a lot of stuff. Um, Golden Girls, to be believe it or not. Um, mm. Sesame Street, I mean, that has to be in there everywhere. Yeah. Um, so that was like early, early on. And then, of course, we had cable, cable television, right. which introduced a whole swath of like Americana and just different mm-hmm. things. So like, yeah, we had, inf- we had like Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon. So we, 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 we began to see all these things, like all these, uh, cartoons and anime and it, that really brought like our cultures closer together. Just the, the access to the cable and to, to seeing what the America, what America had as Mm. it were. Hmm. For just general reference, when were you born, Justin? Oh, I was born in 1985. Well, I just wanted to see when, uh, so (laughs) what age we're talking about here when we're, uh, we're talking about those. So yes, the shows you make, you mentioned would make sense actually cartoon (laughs) network and golden girls and everything. Cause those are products of the nineties. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I just have to ask because you know Don and I, of course, are both uh, old guys. Old. Um, very, yeah, very don't old. Do that. Don't, don't do that to yourselves. You guys are <laughs> you guys are experienced. There's nothing wrong. With that. <laughs> At least yeah. that's the excuse I'm going to use when I'm that when I'm that age. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. But as a result, we're we actually remember when there were only a few TV channels on American TV, much less le- much less. Um, yeah, much less Trinidadian TV or Canadian TV in our case, of course. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Canada is similar to Trinidad in that sense that um, when actually even right now, we really technically only have, what do we have? Three or four Canadian TV channels, like proper, not cable right. channels, but actual proper channels. Wow. Um, we get, we get because more than course, that because remember you get all the uh, the French channels too. That that's, oh, yeah. I those keep, still count. I keep, they do count. Yes, I, I, I forget about those too, all too often. Uh, but there's really only two of those, right? There's only really there's like CBC French, and then there's another one that's I don't remember, I can never remember what it's called because I never watched it. But yeah, and, the French. And then there, there's one that's basically it's a TVO in French. Oh yeah, T- yes, you're right. There is okay. So technically, fine. We're sitting about seven <laughs> or so, but whatever. Anyway, but, but we're not here to talk about Canada. We're here to talk about how awesome Trinidad is. All right, so. Um, so when you were growing up, Justin, then, so what were your, some of your like influences? Like what were your favorite shows when you were growing up? Since we're talking TV. Um, okay. Um, of course, a lot of them would be foreign, um, foreign imports as it were. Mm, um, right. my first, the first TV show other than Sesame Street as that being that young that I can mm-hmm. remember sinking my teeth into and really just being an avid fan was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right, like that, I would not miss that for the world. That was my Mm -hmm. thing. Um, Then I had like an inkling into anime, like a small intro into anime with the Samurai Pizza Cats. (laughs) Another classic. Yeah, and I at that point in my life, I had no clue what anime actually was. It was just another cartoon to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, but yeah, like those, and then all um, up came like you know more anime um first was like not zoids i've never watched zoids it was there though Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. pokemon 
Pokemon was like, of course, mm. as it as it's you know it, it went across the world, so we we yeah. watched it. Um, though this is actually funny, mm-hmm. our island is is small, is relatively small, and so like when something becomes a phenomenon, it really kind of takes root, right. and you can't, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's difficult to find someone who's not been influenced by it, mm-hmm. and that was Rurouni Kenshin okay. or Samurai or Samurai X. Every, every, like, look, yo, every Saturday morning, I kid you not, like, everyone, like, re- like revolved their lives around, rescheduled things around the airing of, uh, well, we, we had it as Samurai X. Um, mm-hmm. It's only a lot later than I became, you know, I, I started to know it as Rumi Kenshin. But, you know, people were, like, we would get off, get up, either get up early or when I was older, we would have, like, uh, I'd have, like, lessons to take in the morning. And so I would just videotape it with my old dusty VCR and like come back home and see it. And everyone would be on the phone like, Hey, you see what Kenshin did? Oh man, that fight was so cool. I mean, I tell, like tell you what, like spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen, uh, reflections, Mm -hmm. like every like big, strong, like manly alpha men were like crying when Kenshin died. (laughs) I, I kid you not. They were so like, they were so involved in that entire story, that family, that those characters. When Kenshin right. died, it was like a, it was like a national tragedy, as it were, for the, like huh. you know my generation, the ones who were genuinely interested in it. It was wow. it was it was something else, man. Um, but yeah, like and then we had Techman Blade. Well, we had it as Techno Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and like once. Those anime started coming out. We started, we realized, hey, anime is a thing. There's more of these. So we'd go mm-hmm. to the video stores and then we'd have like, okay, I'll tell you this. But this is, uh, Trinidad back in the day was not very um, st- strong on, on copyright <laughs> infringement. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I would go to the video store and there'd be copies of like, uh, volume three of this anime or volume like there were they never had the entire thing it was just like oh right. bits and pieces of of these different anime and i would just like voraciously rent those and watch those and be like hey i need to see the rest a lot of those i actually to this day have never seen the beginning or the ending <laughs> of um and i have the means to <laughs> it's just that you know life um, yep. but yeah, like the more anime we consumed, um, I consumed specifically, the more I, I gained an interest in it. And when the internet became a thing and, 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 uh, YouTube became a thing and like, not even YouTube, like downloading dot ABI files of mm-hmm. entire series of anime and just like marathoning them with your friends. It was, mm-hmm. it was, yep. it was something, it was something to behold. <laughs> yeah. I was, I wondering, um. Because you mentioned um, in Trinidad, you got a lot of American influence. And I know one thing we have in Canada, and we've talked to other people in other countries that had this. Was there an attempt by the the government or local media or even the people to sort of limit outside influences in the media? Or or was it just accepted that you'd import all of this stuff? Oh, absolutely. It, there was, at least not to my knowledge, I think it would have been a big thing for me to know about, for it, you know, mm-hmm. that I would have known about or heard about. No, no, no. It's like, there was no, there was no need to censor. Like, um, we were very friendly. We were very open in terms of, um, 
ingesting media, I guess, mm-hmm. as it were. Like, mm-hmm. we were, like, there was nothing about American media that, at the time, I can't really speak for now, that we were, that the government was like, hey, you know, hold up, no, censor, censor, censor. I don't even mm-hmm. think we had the kind of technology to even attempt that, to be perfectly honest, but... <laughs> mm. But no. Well, I think what he means is, at least in a lot of places, like Canada, for example, we have what's called the Canadian content rule, which means all our television stations have to show a certain amount of Canadian content every day, or even our even our radio would do. This is to encourage Canadian culture and to try to uh, encourage uh, companies to put money towards Canadian products. Is there anything like that in Trinidad? Abs- um, you know, to be perfectly honest, I have no idea. Um, I don't like I and I, I think I would I would have heard about it especially if um Probably. yeah if if it was a thing but like I I don't think so to be honest. Huh. I'll get back to you guys. I'll get back to you guys <laughs> no, about no, that. No, no problem. No problem. Okay, so we talked about TV shows and special and anime and such. So what about comic books? Do you guys did you guys have actual comic books coming in? Obviously, American comics, probably mostly American comics. Um, yeah. Um, now we hmm, the advent of like video stores and TV and uh, not TV video game stores and comic book stores. Well, it wasn't really a. Th- mm, I wouldn't say it wasn't really a thing. They were very. Sp- when I was a teenager mm-hmm. I remember there were people who literally just imported them or came up to America and just bought a whole bunch of like comics and stuff and just brought them down and like sold them at the side of the road like set up a little stall and sold comics there huh. wow um, I'm, there are like now there are stores that sell that you know are specifically deal with comic like bookstores that have comic books and manga and stuff like that but before growing up like we may have mm-hmm. had like one or two of those um, but it was like the Wild West, pretty much. So, did you read many comic books when you were growing up? Actually, no. Um, I, I kind of felt overwhelmed. I had a good friend who was really into them, and mm-hmm. he would he would buy every single issue of every single. And and to me, I'm I'm a story oriented person, mm-hmm. and so I refuse to see a movie if I haven't read the book. I refuse to read part of a storyline if I. You know, or at least a new story. Like I can't enter into something cold, as it were. Mm-hmm. I have to start from the beginning, like story-wise. Um, back in the day, it was acceptable because I didn't know any better and I didn't have access to to them. <laughs> but now I'm sort of a purist like that. So uh, I always felt, and I still do, to be perfectly frank, um, feel a bit daunted into as into like stepping foot in that realm. Um, like there's so many stories to be told and so many stories to read up on and catch up on and, and know about, and it's just, it's difficult. Okay. I can, I can see that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are designed so you can kind of jump in almost any time, but yeah, well, at least American comics are, they basically, your average American comic is a story that runs usually these days, I think like somewhere between two and five issues worth. And then once that story is done, that story is done. And they move on to another story with the characters pretty much the exact same. Like, you have to understand, it's not like manga where the characters are actually evolving as they go along, sort of. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's it, American comics characters never change, not significantly. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Oh, wow. They, they, can, they can even die, like Superman or Batman. They've both died. And it doesn't matter, really. I mean, someone takes their place for a year or so of comics, and then they come back, and it's as though they were never dead to begin with. 
Mm-hmm. You see, and now that's actually refreshing. That kind of puts me in the mind of like, maybe I will try it out because I've never really, you know, had that perspective. I've always been afraid of, Oh, there's so many, like there's so many things to catch up on and I'm going to need to read. Like, yeah, I, you're right. in the fact that I did kind of lump it in with manga in terms of like this, the progression of character development, etc., And mm. all those like little nuances that I may not grasp had I not read right. something before. So yeah, that's mm, thank you, thank you, Rob, thank you, thank you. You're you're you're, you're welcome. Um, although, well, here the way it works is at least traditionally, I don't know if it's still true, is that American comic companies assume that comic book readers only stick around for three years max. Mm. So they assume that after three years, their their readership is entirely changed, and so because of that, they have to keep these comics basically going perpetually. They they basically keep them on a treadmill. Oh. And also, of course, you don't want to kill the golden goose. <laughs> so, um, of course. So, so nothing in comics ever lasts more than three years, ever, well, except for maybe the death of Captain Marvel. But that's there, there. Uh, yeah, even that didn't really stick. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, uh, that's an obscure Marvel joke. Never mind. <laughs> anyway, so the the, the the point is is that um, yeah, there's there's no one stays dead. Nothing actually sticks. As if anything's popular, it's coming back. It's just a question of when. So the, the real question is: the, Do you like the art style, and do you like the writer who's currently on it? Okay. And people often read uh, artist or author runs as opposed to yet the whole comic series or whatever. Oh. So, for example, if you know you get a comic book like Spider Man that's been running like eight hundred issues, you won't really. Or even want to read, you know, all of it. You can if you want to. You can go to marvel.com, pay a subscription fee, and get access to their archives. Sorry, do it guys. the right. Do it the right way. Come <laughs> do on. it the right way, exactly. Um, and so you could do that, or you can do things like you can go find collections. Like you'll find collections of like, the best of Spider-Man or something like that. Or and often what they'll be is there'll be runs of let's say a particular writer was on Spider-Man like Peter David or something was on Spider-Man he wrote maybe 20 issues people love them and so they'll collect those particular issues because they know those are the ones people want to read again mm-hmm. but but maybe the other maybe the next writer wasn't as good so people don't really care so there'll be no collection of them unless you go back into Marvel's archives or something okay and so that's how American comics work the only exception to that offhand that i would say um <laughs> there is one exception and that's the x-men um you see and he, that was one of the most popular um comics down in trinidad for quite a while that's yeah. and i guess that's because my friend would always tell me about these different storylines and things happening mm-hmm. and like you know one character is dead and next minute like i i pick up one comic and I read, oh, you know, here's this character with the the, the girl with the bones, Marrow, I think her name was. Mm-hmm. And then the next time I like picked up a random comic, I was like, oh, Marrow is no longer Marrow is a bad. What what's going on? What what did this happen? Right. Um, <laughs> well, that that's the 2000s X Men, I think. What what? Huh? Who? What? That kind of sums it up. That, pretty that's good. pretty. That's yeah, pretty that's... normal, even for regular readers. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> from 2000. No, what I meant is that the X Men, and this is what made the X Men so popular, was actually had one writer named Chris Claremont who was on it from like the late 70s to the early 90s. Oh, wow. I think he was on it like 17 years. And so you had one voice and one vision for the comic for like 17 years. And so he wrote it as one kind of like one giant big old saga. Oh, and, wow. And so that's what... And you can find them as the essential X-Men collections. Um, 
And those are worth reading, actually. I mean, they do change as they go along because you're looking at different eras of Marvel Comics and different styles. But but mm-hmm. his and Claremont was heavily influenced by manga as well. So what he was trying to do in some ways was actually an American version of what the Japanese were doing and what he could see the Japanese were doing, but do it with American superheroes. Mm. And that's what produced the X-Men, which everyone loved and thought was awesome. Um, but in the late or sorry, in the mid 90s, he got forced out uh, due to politics. We're not going to go into it, Marvel. <laughs> and at that and then it became the same as every other book with a different artist writer team basically taking it over for like a year or two and then the next team would come along and completely change everything the previous team did and reset things or change things or do whatever stupid crap. Well, let me ask you about that though. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of that, what, like, which would you prefer? I mean, I kind of see points in both directions, honestly. Um, one, you have an established writer who, you know, you're not necessarily just comfortable with, but you, you, you've approved of their style and you've been, um, you know, you like their mm-hmm. style and you, you like reading their work and it, it's, it satisfies you in that way. But then there's also the, the concept of, you know, give me give other people a chance, um, see what other people, new ideas, new voices do, um, mm-hmm. within that, that medium, you know? Yeah. See other takes on it. I would say, now this is me personal. I'll give Don a chance in a second, but I would personally say I prefer the Japanese approach where you have uh, one artist and one writer, or at least one writer, and we see their vision of how the story goes and give it a complete, say, arc or whatever. And then if when it's finished, other people want to do their take on it, I am okay with that. I guess that's kind of what happened with the X-Men. But that's not the norm in American comics. The norm is like you're on it for two or three years, and then you you go off and do some other project. And you and whoever follows you basically resets back to zero as though you were never there, and they do their version of it. And you're right; it does create give a lot of different visions. But I I don't know. I've always felt that it's lacking something because in the end, the characters never really change. The characters are never really evolving. They're just going through the motions of evolving, and then there'll be the reset button will be hit at the end anyway, and you kind of know it. Yeah. Mm. Um, that what do you, what do you think, Don? What's your take on it? I think. Um... Like, personally, I can see either way of doing it is fine, but I think Mm -hmm. as a fan, you have to accept which kind of book you're reading. Um, Because when when it comes to comic books, I I was never a big superhero guy. I read the the undergrounds, the independents, and that was typically one person writing it and doing the art. So you got that one developing story. But then the superhero thing with the perpetual book... There's been a lot of really good entertaining stuff, and, and, and like Justin had said, mm-hmm. there, there's that idea of a new take on the character, a new take on the setting, and that's nice too, but I find what happened when you got to like the mid to late 90s, a lot of the long-term fans, which, like Rob had said, up until the 80s, it was assumed you'd only read the comic for about three years, mm-hmm. but the long-term fans were wanting that more character development and story progression, but the situation of how the books are published precludes that. And there was a lot of, a lot of nerd rage at the time over the different changes. And I think, no, you just have to accept that if you read the X-Men, it's going to change in a couple of years because as a perpetual book, it kind of has to. Mm, That's, that's interesting. I I also fall on the, uh, the side of Rob in the Japanese thing. I'm more of a story, story oriented person. Anyway, that's like, 
my that's how I read my books. That's how I play my video games. That's how I watch my shows. Hmm. I'm very interested in the story of things. I and I can understand that, Justin. I can understand why you would like. Obviously, I can understand why you'd prefer stuff with a, a clear overarching story and the characters actually developing and the feeling it's going somewhere. I mean, I guess for me, I'm actually okay with the purely episodic stuff. I mean, I love some of the uh, 70s and 80s Spider-Man stuff, for example. And Batman books are oh, actually yeah, pretty Spider-Man good. Oh, yeah, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I forgot about that. Oh, my gosh. It's Firestar and Iceman. I we have that too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just just <laughs> brought my brought it back to my memory, my consciousness. No problem. No no problem. My condolences. All right. Anyway, um, actually, no. I shouldn't say that because not not only have we, I think, had the actual uh, guy behind that on. Um, I think Will Minio was actually involved with that, if I remember right. Yeah, because that was um, like the first. Uh, was that like the first uh, Marvel animation production? Yeah, it was actually. I think Will worked on that. Okay, mm. so we've actually had him on the show. Oh. Um, wow. Yeah, actually, yes. You should, uh, I recommend people go back and uh, listen to Will Minio's interview. It was an amazing one. He he was one of the guys uh, behind Marvel Productions and during the eighties and nineties, including uh, Spider Man, his amazing friends. Um, mostly as a board artist, but involved in other other ways as well. But anyway, no, that actually I shouldn't I shouldn't poo poo Spider Man's amazing friends because it was one of the very first real attempts to do like a real Marvel type show on the air in the format of Saturday morning and to do something that was a little more serious mm. and not just something that was like Hanna-Barbera goofy or something that was like a 60s motion comic. Mm-hmm. So I, I will, I'll, I'll give, you know, I'll give Spider-Man his amazing friends it's due. Um, <laughs> and now I completely forgot what I was going to say. Uh, now I completely derailed. Um, okay, no, no, no. Okay. How about, how about I, uh, I, I cut in with an interlude with me in my actual accent as opposed okay. to being a fraudster. And I'm speaking with my American accent. Okay. So, yeah. Um, this is, in case, you know, you were wondering why I was, why I had an American accent. And I was mm-hmm. clearly from, and I keep saying that I'm from Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean. I'm a fraud. I'm a phony. I'm a big fat phony. <laughs> um, no. Uh, well, this goes into audio drama. I mm-hmm. started, you know... Because of the whole an- all anime and, th- and stuff like that, you know, you kind of get interested in the voice acting, you know, mm-hmm. you know, who's behind your favorite, you know, dub and stuff. And so right. when I when I when I came to the U.S. actually, I uh, my girlfriend at the time she was into that like amateur voice acting and stuff like that mm-hmm. at um, Voice Acting Alliance at dot com, which I don't know even even know it's still there. And oh, R.I.P. Yeah, there is a there is a Facebook group I think that it kind of moved to so it is I think it still exists on Facebook but not as a, a separate forum. Um, forum anymore yeah uh, it's gone it, it it in my opinion it kind of like I, I don't want to get on like you know it anyways um yes back to the accent I kept auditioning for roles you know. Mm-hmm. For different roles, and you know, of course, I'm a newcomer, so I'm not going to audition for you know main character one with the the the, the tragic backstory and the need to be emotive <laughs> and etc. But right. I was more content with man in crowd A, man in crowd B, <laughs> soldier A, um, reckless bystander, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, just just back roles, and. I would audition for these parts and they would have their lines for me to read. And 
of course I was no stranger to the American accent because we've had, I grew up with American television. Mm-hmm. So like I, I, you know, I had ample time to like ingest mentally all the American accent mm-hmm. accents rather. And so I would do the line and then halfway through the line, I would start talking like I would start breaking back down into my accent. Mm-hmm. So I would start a line like this and ended like this. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to do a full deep dive, just like, Hey, in my, I was in college at the time. So it's like, see, and this is, this is another thing I'm get my brain confuses stuff. So if I'm talking to people with an accent like this, my brain automatically wants me to start talking with an accent like that. I have to mm. have actually concentrate. If I'm not talking to another Trini, it's, it's mm-hmm. going to go back to the American accent. Mm. Um, so yes, I spent the next three or four years of my college experience speaking exclusively with the American accent, specifically mm-hmm. with the purpose of perfecting it. Right. Even and to you the... did a good job. <laughs> Why? Thank you. Yeah, that's that's well, crazy how you slip in and out like that. <laughs> it's 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 well, I mean, and the, the kicker is, um, I'm speaking to you with with a Trinidadian accent right now, but anybody who's from Trinidad would still hear an American tinge to it because I've had to actually retrain my brain to repronounce, to pronounce things differently, pronounce things in a way, because we pronounce things in the British, in the, the good old British way. <laughs> but, um, so I've had to rearrange, in learning the accent, I've had to rearrange how I pronounce certain words. And so even when I go back to my Trinidadian accent, there's still those remnants of the American accent. And that's enough for people back home who don't know me to either think one, I'm either faking my own accent for right. whatever reason, or two, you spent some time abroad, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> so like, right. yeah, it's, I'm not, it takes me like about a week of full immersion back, like mm-hmm. going back there and being there for a week for me to fully reclaim the slang and the, um, and just the the nuances that make the accent the accent, right? But as of no, this is what you're hearing here, and I, I would assume you're thinking to be a a Caribbean Trinidadian accent, an actual Trinidadian mm-hmm. accent is not actually a full Trinidadian accent, at least not to other Trinidadians anyway. Right. Wow. That's perfectly reasonable. Okay. <laughs> um, but it still sounds very cool. I mean, from a Canadian perspective, anyway, the Caribbean accents sound awesome, actually. Hmm. And, oh, one more thing. We're not all Jamaica, by the way. <laughs> yes, I know that. I mean, no, I, 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 know, I know you. You and your wonderful co-host, I, I assume, would know that. But right. every time I tell people I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, I'm from the Caribbean. It's like, where's that? It's in the Caribbean. Oh, are you close to Jamaica? Yeah, man. I'm like, no. <laughs> we are two separate. And we are, like, that's north. That's higher up in the Caribbean. We're the the, the south, southernmost. And you're like, yeah, man. I was like, okay, anyways. Anyways, <laughs> you're, you're, you just had me triggered there. For, I just triggered myself, rather, there for right. a second. How did you end up in the United States, Justin? Well, 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 well. Um, it all has to go back to my schooling. My uh, mm-hmm. schooling. We have the British system. Uh, okay. See, I'm already back into the American accent, so I'll just stick yes, with it are. this time. Just stick with it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, so I've, we, uh, okay. In high school, um, when you, we have the British system, we had uh, the A-levels, right? 
Mm-hmm. And the A levels, I've I've gone, I've done five years of college up here. I've written the GRE. Mm-hmm. I've done SATs. I've done tons of exams, and the A level still remains to this day the most difficult exam I've ever taken in my entire life. Um, those things were brutal. So I te- actually, sorry to interrupt, but Americans don't know what A levels are. I know. Oh, right. My apologies. Um, okay. So the best way I can think to describe it is, you know, how in Harry Potter, they have the OWLs that they have to take it, it on their, in their fifth year. I think those are what we consider the O levels. It's like they patterned Hogwarts's um, exams in school after the British uh, school system. Naturally. And so, uh, but we, we don't have middle school here. We just like go straight from, uh, from well, primary school to, to secondary school. Mm-hmm. And we have, um, our years are called forms, not like grades or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. um, when you go, when you go from form one to form five, you form at form five, you write the O level exams, which is basically the British exams, like the OWLs and Harry Potter. After that, depending on how well you do, you can either like back in the day, this is more, this was more frequent. You would, you know, come out of school, look for work, that kind of thing. Or if you, again, if you had the grades, you would continue high school. Um, Trinidad, uh, the, well, at least in the Caribbean, Trinidad um, colleges are one less year, but we have one more year of high school to kind of, because up here, college is four years. Ours is uh, University of West Indies is like three year institution. Um, so we go to form six and in form six, you do like as higher studies and you, you pick what you want to specialize in like sciences or, or you know, math, mathematics or languages, etc. And you have to write the A-level exam. And after that, it's essentially, if you do well on that, you're, you're pretty good college wise, you know? Um, <laughs> nowadays it's a different, it's a completely different exam. Like I, I've, I'm old uh, with regards to like some of, like what's happening now, I have no clue what what's happening now over there in terms of uh, examinations. I don't, I know they're not doing the A level exams anymore. Trinidad isn't, but okay. but um yeah. So they were the most difficult ex- like difficult difficult like it was crazy. Um, and so a lot, I, I know I'm rambling, but bear with me. Um, so I didn't do quite well. In the uh, in the A level exams, and so you know, I want I wanted to do journalism. My my parents were like, "Hey," because I did sciences, and I I sucked at sciences, sad to say, like chemistry, biology, physics. I was more, but the one subject I did, which was general paper, which is essentially like, "Hey, you have a here's a topic, write an essay about that topic." Literally, that was all it is. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the one, that's the one exam I I aced. Like I just tore through that, and I got I got like close to full marks. And so my mother was like, Hey, you seem to like writing. And at that point in my life, I did like writing. Cause okay, we can come back to that too. Um, mm-hmm. but you see, there's no, there was, my mother wanted me to parlay those writing skills into a journalism career, but the university of the West Indies in my country in Trinidad did not have a journalism program at that time. And so the only campus for that that had that was in Jamaica and nothing against Jamaica, but my mom was kind of scared to send me to Jamaica. Um, mm-hmm. So 
I had a family member in the U.S. at the time, and they had apparently sponsored my family or my mother, my father, and I to get green cards. And it was oh, at that okay. t- it was at that time, like fortuitous time, that the green you know the you know it came through, and I had a green card, and so all of a sudden I was a per- I was a permanent resident in the United States, and so the decision was made like, hey. Howard University, which is near that relative, had has a journalism degree. Send him on up. You know, I, as a as a permanent resident, I can get access to like grants and you know student loans and uh, all those kind of things, as opposed to like coming in as a as an international student, hmm. right? And so I came up. You know, I came up to Washington D.C. Went to Howard University for college. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I, you know, during those years, I fell in love with the place. Not necessarily just, just the fact that it was America, but I fell in love with like the convenience, the fact that, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I can play video games whatever I want. This was the first (laughs) time I was away from my parents, by the way, (laughs) ever, like in a completely different country. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, that's how I came up here. I just, I, I came up for college and, uh, Everything just kind of fell into place, really. And here I am. I just decided to stay. Right. Okay. Well, that's awesome. So you've stayed. And uh, actually, let's follow that through. So what degree did you graduate from college with? Oh, that's another tale. But I'm going to keep that one short. Um, Okay. So I did journalism. I started my degree, my journalism degree, as I said. And (laughs) during that time... That's when I started getting into audio dramas and radio plays and, and, and voice acting and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would do that as a hobby on the side and just continue with my journalism career. But me personally, I didn't quite like I can I was good at writing. I was good at, you know, reporting and doing stories and stuff like that, but it didn't it didn't scratch that itch if it you know, as it were. Like I love telling store fictional stories. Mm-hmm. And I got that that it scratched if I were to reuse a, use a term doing audio dramas, because um, even going back to Trinidad, like having access to all this, like manga and especially anime of, Oh God, like I started writing like, Oh, I can do better story than that. And write, I'd write stories mm-hmm. and implement and, and uh, involve my classmates and then make my classmates characters and stuff. And, you know, I get, right. I'd have like, like <laughs> some of them who didn't even care about reading. was like, Hey, what am, what's, what's happening to my character? That kind of stuff like that. And so I had a lot of those. I, I wrote notebooks upon notebooks upon notebooks of those stuff, of the stuff. And being an American, having in you know trying this voice acting thing, and no one, no one actually using my voice talent, hmm. I got frustrated. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna why I'm just gonna make why I was gonna make stuff myself, man. Right. So mm-hmm. I got Cool Edit Pro, the precursor to Adobe Audition, mm-hmm. and. I just started like converting all of the stories I'd written or most of the stories I'd written into like scripts, put up, set up auditions, um, got, and I, I, I swore to myself, I was only going to, to, to cast newcomers, mm-hmm. you know, cause I had that righteous indignation, like give all these newcomers a chance. You know, no one gave me a chance as a newcomer. I'm just going to write and give, make my, my cast entirely of newcomers. Right. And, and so, I wrote, I produced a bunch of radio plays and audio dramas, and I got a hang of 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 the actual production process. And I actually 
fell in love more with the production process than actual voice acting. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I, I would still voice characters. Like if I needed a, a line, like a throwaway character, I still voice that. But at that time I was in my, um, beginning my junior year, my third year in college. Now I'm supposed to be done after four years and mm-hmm. I'm just not into the journalism thing anymore. I'm like, this is not me. This is not what I'm doing, but my parents are paying to send me over here. So I'm going to do it. And we're in the, the, the school of communication lobby. And I see a, a, a core schedule for radio TV film production. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, we have this. No, I should have known we had this, but I didn't. <laughs> so it's like, we have, so like we have this. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, I looked through all the courses and I'm like, Hey, I can do this. I like editing. I like audio production. I like, and I turned to my mom who had come up to like visit that summer. I was like, yeah, you probably want to have dad sit down. And when you want to tell him this, I want to switch majors in the beginning of my junior year. So I switched it to um, radio TV film production. Hmm. And that's what I ended up graduating with. Um, yeah. So production major. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, all because of my love of theater or the audio drama. And by the hmm. way, I should protest because I did have you acting in my productions and I did give you a chance. So you can't say that nobody did. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was talking about the very beginning, Rob. You were, okay, you okay. were a perfect gentleman. You, 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 <laughs> you, you gave me a shot and I was glad to take it. Okay. I pre- and you did some amazing work, actually. You did some great work. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. No, no, you did. Actually, I cast you as one of my, I was Henzo Vasquez, who is one of my major villains in the Twin Stars series. Um, yes. You, you portrayed him perfectly. Sean. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> I remember the character's name. Yep. I, I don't know uh, if I'm actually doing it correctly now, but uh, I, it's I been don't years. think you are, but it's okay. It's, been a, it's, it's only been like 10 years, so it's okay. I mean, yeah, 10 years. You know, a lot of stuff can happen in that time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, actually, so what are you doing now, Justin? Are you actually still in uh, in actual production, like video editing and such? I yes, that's my that's literally my job description. I'm a technical director at a PR firm. Um, we have mm-hmm. several clients who have several shows or productions that need to be done, and so I'm assigned mm-hmm. to make those happen. Um, I also right. work. I also uh, moonlight on the weekends as uh, a studio tech for NBC Washington here. So mm-hmm. I'm currently working seven days a week. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's that. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I love what I do. I love what I do. I love creating and that's, you know, it harkens back to everything, man. I love creating. I love Mm -hmm. bringing things to fruition, like just being part of a team, whether it's, well, now I can stand nonfiction, but, Mm -hmm. um, because I, it, it, it kind of correlates with my paycheck. Right. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, like I like the feeling of, of being part of a team or at least, you know, creating things. Oh, we need to, um, sorry, we need to talk about video games in Trinidad. Yeah, okay, well, here, we'll, we'll get to that in a sec. But okay, but so I want to loop back around to something then. Um, so tell us a little bit about the audio dramas that you did. Now, I know you did one called Budajin. Um, <laughs> was that your first audio drama? Um, no, actually. Um, so I've been trying to write a novel forever. 
mm-hmm. and like even since back in high school it's it's seen many iterations i've written it mm-hmm. and my writing style sucked back then hmm. even look even going and looking back at it now it's just like i where was i even thinking what was i even thinking mm-hmm. i rewrote it in my modern in my my modern style and that's what i actually used for my very first um audio drama script it was called right. reign of dicophora um it did not go very far but it did it did introduce me to the world of voice acting and the world of production rather mm-hmm. um it gave me a taste of like the whole casting and auditioning and and at ed- like editing and like putting you know putting things on tracks and multi multi tracks and just letting the scene all play out and picking the right backgrounds music and picking the right sound effects um that first one I still have it. I'm not going to, it's, it's never going to see the light of day again because it's so horrible. I just keep it, I just keep it around to like, uh, <laughs> remind myself to stay humble. Cause that was, it was really bad. Um, I did do, um, back in the day I saw a fan fiction, um, mm-hmm. or legend of Zelda fan fiction mm-hmm. called the wrath of a God. And it was really long and it was amazing. Like it literally took my breath away. I was a, a Legend of Zelda fan ever since, uh, you know, Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. And they followed, uh, they followed that path, you know, that storyline when they were going. And it was amazing. And I was like, I have to bring this to life, man. I have mm-hmm. to do it. And so I, I went over the internet scouring to find who the author was. And I could never find the author. Um, his name was Rich Berrigan. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, like, on the fanfiction website, they had they called it Rich Berrigan's The um, Legend of Zelda: Wrath of a God. Right. So, I looked everywhere to see if I could find this guy, if I get his permission. Hey, you know, I like your story. Can I? And I couldn't find it. Like I did my due diligence, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this story's too good not to tell. Mm-hmm. So I made the decision here. What I'm going to 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 turn this into an audio drama, and I did. And it was epic. It was so great. I enjoyed. I loved working on it. I loved working on it from start to finish. Um, the cast was great, and so that was. Well, hold on. How how long was it? How many episodes did you do? It was, I think, four or five episodes. But then I combined it all into one one big file, to one big long one long file. Um, so it's yeah. like a giant movie. Yes, <laughs> essentially. So it's it's. I have to dig out and see where I, where I left that because I'm sure I, I saved a lot of these things. But it's just you know a matter of where they are. But you know, it. I I I really liked that one. It was it wasn't my mm-hmm. best work as a as a as a producer as an um, mm-hmm. editor, but I got better with each episode. Right. And and I and, hope and so. yeah. And if you listen to it, you can actually you should be able to actually see the progression through. You know how I did, how I how I improved, right? But but the best the best part about doing that was, man, like five or six or seven years after doing that, mm-hmm. I get a Facebook request from who, Rich Berrigan. Oh, hmm. and he said he was just you know googling you know googling some of his old stuff you know trying to see Wrath of a God, and he expected just his fanfic to come up, and he found. The audio drama mm-hmm. version huh. of it, and I was like, "Oh, uh, I did try to t- did try to find you, but I couldn't." 
so I attributed it to you, like whoever you are, Rich Berrigan, this one's for you, right, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and he loved it. Like he was just like, it was, it was a really surreal moment though, mm. because it's like, this is the, the original writer of the story. And I, it was me just interpreting what he, he what he wrote. Mm. And he is just gushing about how much he loved it and how much, you know, I mean, of course, not everything when it was exactly as he'd have it, but he said it was a really, really faithful adaptation of what he had in mind. Huh. Um, so, like, that was kind of like, not really vindication, but it was, it it made the whole process worthwhile. And I, I, I just mm. really enjoyed it. Um, Butajin was uh, uh, a love letter to Rurouni Kenshin. I mean, I, I mm. think anybody who would listen to it yes, would, yes, uh, it <laughs> would, would would be able to tell you. And Rob, you voice acted in it as the uh, maniacal Seiza Aoi. Yes, I did. <laughs> For one episode, and then I died horribly, if I remember right. I mean, you, you were defeated, and then you were stabbed <laughs> yeah. in the back. But, I mean, hey. You stabbed to death. But, you know, it, that's life. I understand. It's a, it's an actor's you, life. I mean, but you were, you were, you, you were a formative. Without your technique, the uh, main character would not have been able to defeat a, a future opponent. So, okay. you, I appreciate yeah. that. I helped. <laughs> yeah, so you even got a flashback laugh, too. So, right. you know. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. I'm glad I could contribute. Yeah. I, 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 hey. It was worth it, and I appreciate it. But yeah, Butajin was like... And that was actually the one project, other than The Legend of Zelda, that I actually finished um, mm-hmm. a complete season. Like, I had more more things planned for it, but life, you know, kind of got in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Butajin, is, Butajin is, is one of my favorites. Um, I love the voice cast. It's essentially a little girl... Parents killed by this guy wearing a pig mask. She swears revenge. Uh, later comes to hear that this famous guy, Sword Saint, has come to live in the village and just tries to like become his student. Um, she becomes his student, his um, but his style um, forbids people to kill. So it's like, I'll teach you, but you can't kill anyone. So this revenge thing isn't going to really work out. <laughs> right. Um. <laughs> And it, it, it just goes from there. There's a lot of twists and turns. Um, mm-hmm. it, it ends with a really big twist, and which is why people expected it to continue. But as I said, life, <laughs> life tends to go on and on and on. Yes, it does. And interrupt stuff. Um, I also had a, a mecha, uh, a mecha audio drama called Project Art Light, Arc Light, rather Project Arc Light. Mm-hmm. And that was the last one I was actually working on. And I produced the first episode 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And huh. then life happened. And then <laughs> I found a, like a burst of inspiration one day. I was like, hey, let me continue this. And so like last year, I, I finished episode two. Like after 11 years of uh, <laughs> of, of space going in between there. Um, I got all the original voice actors who were on in the first episode and they were like, they were gracious enough to be like, Hey, um, and they provided the voices and stuff. And they were, it, it was, it was a blast to work on really, hmm. you know, just to get my feet back wet into the whole audio drama thing again to see, you know, right. If I, if I would still be able to do it. And, um, it was, it was really fun. 
Um, can I do it c- consistently going on? Not particularly, unless I find another editor. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's it's it was fun to do it, and it's fun to like you know every once in a while produce an episode of it. Possibly, it's just you know whether the voice actors would have the time or the patience, mm-hmm. I guess, <laughs> to, mm. to go along with right. my uh, my life, you know, my life circumstances as it were mm-hmm. and huh. yeah that's really it for the for the audio drama bit right <laughs> have, have you done any other writing have you made any other attempts at writing uh one of your books or anything like that or writing stories actually yes um so speaking of trinidad like we have a, a very abundant source of folklore you know and i see in manga and anime we see the japanese use and quite frankly, abuse in my opinion their their folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, hey, if you have it, why not use it, right? Right. And they use it in some very very intriguing ways, like you know, not necessarily the way you would think they would be using. And so we have an abundant abundance of folklore in Trinidad. And so I was like, why don't I? I don't think I've actually read or mm-hmm. seen anything or anyone do anything with that. And so I started to. I'm starting to write a uh, a story um, based on the character of the Jumbie. Mm-hmm. Now, the Jumbie mm-hmm. in Trinidad folklore is literally just a ghost. I'm taking some creative li- creative life a spirit rather. Mm-hmm. I'm taking some cr- uh, creative license with what that spirit entails and um, the powers and etc. Like that. Um, essentially. In my story, is basically goes back to a voodoo curse on a family. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Basically, yeah, voodoo curse on a family that if the if the if any generation is born in threes, like if the children of a generation, like one, is born in threes, like the third child is born, mm-hmm. the curse will kick in, and it will give the uh, the three children the powers of the jumbie, like one each, right. And it will nurture in all three children the 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 um it will nurture in all three children the the jealousy and the 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 power lust to gain all three because it's like the the movie the one you want you you want you kill a sibling the, mm-hmm. that power goes to the remaining two right one sibling kills the other two he gets the he gets all the powers of the jumbie right huh. and no, so. Quit. Question, quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is so, let's say sibling A kills sibling B. Does sibling A automatically get sibling B's power, or could sibling B's power go to sibling C instead? They both, siblings B and sibling C. Wait, which one is the one that got killed? I'm sorry. B, okay, sibling A yes. kills sibling B. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes. Will, that, will sibling B's power go to sibling A who killed them, or would it go to sibling C, the, the remaining sibling? It would go to both. A weakened version of that power would go to both sibling A and sibling okay. C, huh. which would okay. increase the increase the necessity to kill the remaining sibling to the acquire sibling, everything. Right? Okay, and also give them a little bit of extra power as well. Okay, yeah. that's that's nasty. Um, and so, yeah, the the whole con like I'm giving this to you as an exclusive. By the way, the whole concept oh, is a, the whole concept is essentially back in the day. A French planter came to the island. He was able to rise a societal ladder really quickly, gain a mm. lot of money, marry into a very prestigious family, 
some some people considered voodoo or we call it obia mm-hmm. um to be the source and they were right um he made a pact with a obia woman mm-hmm. um to gain all this wealth and then he would leave that family with the wealth and marry that woman's daughter right he did not <laughs> instead instead um killing her when killing the the daughter when she confronted him about not following through and so the obia woman um in a bid for vengeance went mm. after the one thing that he cared about more than himself and that was his children his three children right and so that's what happened he gave each of she gave each of them the power of the jumbie right instilled told the youngest hey this these are your powers these are what you have now your siblings have powers you can kill them and have all of them all of them right and so ever since the cur- ever since that curse was um inflicted on the family mm. it's been enacted only if there's three siblings right so if there's two you know that's that's fine and so like eventually the family line became like started whittling out because of it right. and it comes down to the last remaining line of that family family right and so that those are who the the protagonists are you have oh. two brothers um the two brothers one who is actually a psychopath mm-hmm. <laughs> um who feels no emotion etc mm-hmm. and the other the other is the older brother who sees that in his younger brother and tries to curb it tries to like okay let me teach you how to act around people mm-hmm. the only gist is they the two of them have superpowers so. right yeah. okay so what kind of story is this meant to be like a horror novel or something or is it more of a superhero like manga type take on it what do you plan on doing with it um i was in, i was actually going to it, I, i'm pl- planning on doing a kind of like justice league-esque thing where this is one character this is one character mm-hmm. and then we have um uh, introduced another folklore character uh oh, in, an, in another in another novel um who is not necessarily the second character um is a foreign born is a foreigner like he was born in trinidad but he mm-hmm. like me but well at a much earlier age was taken to live abroad and only mm-hmm. coming back, you know, at the death of a family member. Right. And what he is bequeathed by that family member kind of just leads him into this entire this entire world of folklore and, and, and mysticism, etc. Hmm. And so the the plan is to like ultimately just bring them together from the first novel, second novel, and have like a sort of not really detective agency, but a sort of like paranormal ish paranormal investigation kind of thing right um yeah the first novel i like the first novel the jumbie character is supposed is more hardcore more like i would i would liken it to batman and the second one is like superman okay the the second story is a little more wholesome ish the first one is is sort of gritty Mm. and you know gets you into the feel of what what's happening right now okay well, now, I have to ask, are Trini people really superstitious? No. As a as a rule, um, well, 
Okay. Um, I've been like a lot of that stuff happened before. A lot of that happened before I was born. So I've been reading up and, and researching for this. I've been reading up a lot of, um, of our own folklore and a lot of stories that people were, you know, that people gave orally. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these stories came from, you know, a mixture of French, our, our, our history, you know, like our history, like we have Papa Bois, mm-hmm. who is literally like, um, who is literally like the father of the forest kind of person, protector of the forest kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He's essentially, that's, that's from France. That's from uh French lore. We have Mama de Lo, or mother of the water who is a villain or a hero, depending on how you treat her. Mm-hmm. We have the Sukunya, which is okay. I don't even know how to just start describing this one. <laughs> the Sukunya is a giant fireball mm-hmm. who inhabits the skin of a human being, mm. and this giant this giant fireball on nights sheds its human skin and sucks the blood of animals and uh cattle etc and i o- wonder where that one came from exactly wow. exactly wow. and the only way to kill one or to defeat one is to find the skin and lace it with an abrasive substance in the stories they use salt or pepper or whatever mm-hmm. so when they go back into it it burns them alive as it were or something to that effect right hmm. then we have the Duen. Duen. Um, mm-hmm. Now, this is actually very kind of horror movie-esque. The Duen are the souls of children who died before bap- they were baptized or christened. Mm-hmm. And this is how I'm going to describe them. Just imagine a fetus that can walk, but its mm-hmm. feet are backward. Feet are facing backwards. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which leads to a lot of uh, tricky, tricky tricks. They're like the goblins, I guess, of uh, of Trinidad. I guess huh. um, they steal away children if you know if they if they know the children's name. Which is why back in the day, uh, in a lot of country areas where there are a lot of like you know forested areas and stuff, people mm. wouldn't refer to their children by name or call out their children by name because, hey, the Duen could probably come get you to kidnap them. would probably start calling the children's names and lure them into the forest. Yep, yeah. and with the fact and with the fact that they have backwards feet, they can easily lead them away or lead mm-hmm. them to like into a trap as it were. Because mm-hmm. you'd be following them as though they were as though their feet were forward, were forward facing. Right. <laughs> but you'd act you'd actually be they'd actually be walking backwards if that were the case so it's it's Ooh. crazy we have the lagahu who's essentially a shapeshifter mm-hmm. imagine it's just a werewolf that can um like just imagine a werewolf but without the full transformation and they can mm-hmm. take different animal forms um and yeah that's those are that are the top of my head a lot of these um a lot of these folklore come from a time where Trinidad didn't have like long swaths of land, like roadways mm. didn't have any like lighting, like road, right. like road lights and stuff like that. And so, you know, there was like a long journey in the dark. Maybe you would see like someone's clothesline hanging 
and it would glint off the moon and it would look like an evil spirit or something. <laughs> right, right. And like you know, so with the with the advent of technology, and like you know, lights and stuff like proper lights all over the place, mm-hmm. a lot of that has like died down, and superstition isn't really a big a big factor in our country anymore. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Are, are people? Oh, sorry, Don, go. Oh no, I was just gonna say because uh, a lot of those uh, boogly monsters you were mentioning, they sound very French. Like it sounds like the mm. that that bit of French influence because. For some reason, like French evil spirits and, and monsters and that, they have a thing for wearing skin. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what happened in France back in like say the 1100s, <laughs> but there's a lot of them that, that you have to find the skin and, and yeah, you put salt or sand in it. And then when they put it on to transform back, it like kills them. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. Oh, yeah, you you do have to wonder about that, honestly. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, uh, shudder. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking of that, so Justin, have you actually ever encountered anything odd or supernatural yourself in your life? Um, no. And I say that. Mm, no. <laughs> no. And I say that with the um, I I've experienced sleep paralysis before. Oh, okay. In Trinidad. Mm. And, like, I don't know if anyone's ever had it. You do see things. Mm. <laughs> you, you do, do. you do see things. So, that that experience can be explained away by science. So, I, yes. I, I don't, I haven't had anything other. Thankfully, I would add, I haven't actually yes. seen anything else. Mm. Right. Okay. Interesting. I, I, I partly ask, uh, both out of curiosity about yourself, and I also asked about uh, Trinidad people being superstitious, because I've noticed that people from warmer climate countries, uh, like my wife, country of Taiwan, for example, tend to actually be uh, very active, tend to have very active imaginations when it comes to like superstitions and such. Um, so I wasn't sure if it was the same kind of thing in the Caribbean, like in Trinidad, for example. Mm, no, well, I mean, as I said, we're we're more uh, Americanized, um, mm-hmm. so we don't have time for that with all our iPods and uh, <laughs> Nintendo 64. So that's ancient. What am I saying? And our uh, Nintendo Switches and etc. Yeah, well, actually, you let's talk about video games then, since you brought them up. <laughs> So let's so so. What's the history, your personal history of video games in uh, Trinidad? Oh wow! Um, well, my first in, my first interaction with it was those, uh, you know, those little video games that they're they're that uh, I can't even remember what they're called. They're just like they're pre, oof, they're pre Game Boy. They're pre Game Boy. So those mm-hmm. little like you know uh, standalone. Standalone, like uh, digital, not well, digital. Uh, you're, you're talking about handheld machines, aren't you? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so li- these little handheld things that could play one game, basically. Yes, essentially, one simple game. Yeah, um, and, they're more they're more like an advanced calculator that just plays one game. Yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so they they were those, and then my cousins got a Game Boy, mm-hmm. and you know they only had Tetris, but I love mm-hmm. Tetris. Right. And I played Tetris. Now, um, this was like before I was even five years old. This was like, you know, mm-hmm. I was like three or four at the time. And then they got an NES. And they got Super Mario Brothers. 
and Duck Hunt, and I was hooked. Hmm. But they were my cousins, so they didn't, you know, of course, uh, they had their own house. So, you know, my, my parents were very, you know, strict about video games. You know, they didn't want me very much exposed to it at that age anyways. Mm-hmm. And then I remember Christmas 1990, five years old, open up my Christmas present, my brother and I, and it was an NES of our own. Mm. That was amazing. Only problem was, though, I, I it was Final Fantasy, the game they got for us. So mm-hmm. I was a five-year-old kid with with Final Fantasy. I had no clue what, 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 what was going mm-hmm. on or, or what would need to be done. Or I was just like, what is this game? I'm just walking around, and there's numbers, and there's letters I'm reading. I, I, I don't know what's going on. Huh. And, and so my older cousin was like, all right, I want to play that. And so we... He swapped um, Super Mario Brothers <laughs> with it, and he played Final Fantasy, and I was just here, okay, playing with Mario and Lugie, because at the time I didn't know how to pronounce Luigi properly. <laughs> and so, yeah, that you know that and Duck Hunt, and you know that was my first foray into real like um, console gaming. Mm-hmm. And of course, going up, like as I got older, um, our malls had video arcades, like, you know, the, with all the cabinets and stuff, Street Fighter 2, Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. like, you know, OutRun, you know, Galaga, all those all those games. And so there was a very, 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 very huge um, arcade presence, like video arcade presence when I was growing up, like very mm-hmm. huge. Um, like so much so that I, I, I don't mind telling you, I was kind of addicted to it. Um, I would go there, I would skip class sometimes, <laughs> be a little delinquent, and go to video games. It got to so it got to the point where my 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 family members would be like, "Oh, Justin would miss his own wedding if a video game if a, if an arcade <laughs> was on the route." Right. And so, I mean, I kind of wanted to do that just to kind of like, "Hey," but you know, my wife wouldn't have it, so it's okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but yeah, like. Arc video arcades and um, you know I we would play like the the co op games like Golden Axe and Golden Axe Two, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, mm-hmm. um, all those like co op games that I guess you guys would have had up here. Yep. Um, it would like those were really good bonding things like bonding. That's what we did as friends. We went to the mm-hmm. video arcade, like popped in our quarter. Well, we didn't have quarters because that's not our currency. Mm-hmm. Um we popped in our coins and mm-hmm. we just like played. And, you know, I remember the, the best feeling of, of achievement. One of the best feelings of achievement I ever had was when a group of my friends actually beat golden ax. Like <laughs> it was, it was great. It was excellent. Um, and so, yeah, like as we got older and like the arcades became more sophisticated more like newer games and stuff. And my console game experience kind of lagged behind with just the NES for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got um, a Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to say uh, I also used ROMs, uh, emulators and stuff. <laughs> don't, don't, don't uh, use emulators and ROMs. <laughs> but, of course. Um, like, I would go, like, there would be places that would allow you to play, like, a Super Nintendo for a set amount of time by, like, you pay money for, like, 15 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour playing Super Nintendo and they, they had all these games and that was my first experience with a Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And I saw games like uh, Legend of Zelda, um, uh, Link to the Past. I saw Final Fantasy 3, Final Fantasy uh, well, 2. 
I saw mm. Chrono Trigger. I didn't even know what Chrono Trigger was at the point. Hmm. I saw a lot of these RPGs, and it was like I would play. My cousin and I would go in, and we would pay for time. He would pay for time. Then I would pay for to continue the time because we were playing the RPG. Of course, we would never finish it because mm. we would run out of money before we could even get anywhere into the game. But it exposed me to role-playing games. Right? Oh. Would they let you save games and come back later on the No, machine? no, they, they did not. <laughs> Oh, wow that's that's the thing it's like you know we just went we just went and played um because my brother and i when we went with my brother and i we would play two-player games like you know ninja turtles um street fighter mortal Kombat, those kind of things mm. my cousin and i were really into rpgs or like you know so we into stories so mm-hmm. we would do that with each other we just go and just play and i would pay for some time he would pay for some time it was just like stretch it out to almost i remember one time we stayed there for like Oh wow! Almost twelve hours. It was not good. <laughs> wow! Right. It was not good. But um, yeah. And so you know, like I eventually, when I realized, you know, I searched the internet, um, got older, and their ROMs, and they had ROMs and like Super Nintendo ROMs, and I was like, oh, I remember these games, mm-hmm. um, that I used to play back then. And so I would find the ROMs and play on the emulator, and I was hooked. Mm-hmm. Like that was my my entry point into like h- hardcore. RPG, you know, JRPG specifically, mm-hmm. uh, fandom, like games like Chrono Trigger, games like uh, Illusion of Gaia, um, Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 3, well, 4 and 6 now. Right, yeah. Um, you know, just just like even Star Ocean, we had, wow, um, Star Ocean hadn't been ported, hadn't even been ported, uh, made, hadn't been localized. Um, but you know, you found some ROMs with translators in it, like, and that, and like Tales of Fantasia, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the story, like, and then that kind of led me more into the st- doing writing stories than actually the anime or the movies or the videos. Huh. It was it was the role playing games. It was more of like this grand adventure, this like the hero's journey, like, and of course we we speak about it in, in um you know stereotypical terms now. I was like, oh, you know, this is a stereotypical JRPG. You know, you, you just a guy, you know, young boy finds out he's destined for something greater. Village gets burned down mm-hmm. or something to that effect. And he just thrust into the world to fend for himself and to learn his higher destiny. But that's the kind of thing that, that kind of like drove me and kind of like I wanted to play more and more and more. Like, um, So I found more RPGs and I got a Sega Genesis. I got. Uh, Nintendo GameCube. That's those were complete humongous gaps in uh, gaming. By the way, <laughs> consoles. By the way, mm. yeah. I'm um, my both my parents were teachers, and so like they were not. They were all into studying, mm. you know, studying etc. Um, that's also why I, I I gained a huge. I was a huge huge into reading. And I read a lot of fan fiction and read a lot of uh, fantasy books etc. All of which fueled my um all of, like I guess all of it mm-hmm. an amount and it, it makes me who I am and what I what I'm into, but hmm. the and like video games the one thing I didn't like about when I say didn't like if I had to criticize Trinidad about anything, it's like we import these games we import consoles and stuff so if we were to buy the systems locally or the games locally they'd be very expensive mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so a lot of the times to get a console like my GameCube. My mother had to, like when she came to visit a friend in the U.S. She I sent gave her some money I had and she bought it right up here. Hmm. 
and brought it back down with her and it was like saved a lot of money right yeah huh. and we didn't and we didn't have chain like chain stores like GameStop or anything it's like you just went to a electronic store and hope they had a video game you know hope they had a video <laughs> right. game there um and I, as i said the, the the video game stores were there we had them few and far between the same places that allow you to play usually also um sold games as well but they were very expensive mm-hmm. um and cost prohibitive and um so like now again now that's a, it's a lot different you can find video games you know there are specific places like that sell video games and stuff but again their their prices are are over are um a lot higher since you have to they have to pay import taxes on them right so a lot of people yeah. just either a buy digitally or when you know have people who are visiting overseas buy the game for them and bring it down cool yeah makes sense yeah. I, I think that happens in a lot of places that, that yeah that that sounds really really familiar because i remember that era uh the only advantage that we had here was for some reason where I live in Windsor is a small town, but we're incredibly ethnically diverse. Mm-hmm. And we had stores that were actually like people who would come here to start a store from like, say Hong Kong. And they would just open a store like they'd have back at home. And you'd go into these places and you could get like a Genesis was the big thing for us. And you could get the games right from Japan, the mega drive ones, but mm-hmm. you had to cut the, uh, you had to cut the sides off of them. Or they wouldn't fit into an like a, an American machine. Oh wow! But yeah, and we had it was it was like you finding stuff on the emulator. We would just go to these shops, and none of us could read Japanese at the time. So you're like, I don't know what this is, but there's like a guy with a sword and a monster blown up and a half naked chick. So I have to get this and play it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Oh man! And then it, you... it it made it rough for the role playing games because then everything would come up in Japanese. We're like, well, I I, I recognize the numbers and they're getting bigger, so that must be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's like that's that's an experience, man. Like it's to me, I guess I can't emphasize enough how important story is and mm-hmm. is for things for me. You know. Mm-hmm. It's it, it it fuels everything I consume media wise video games TV shows books movies, um, it's just like having all of these things like video games especially RPGs, um, and now like I'm onto uh, Western RPGs um, like especially the games that allow you to create your own character and just mm. like craft your own personality like Mass Effect mm-hmm. you know Bioware games Mass Effect Dragon Age some of my favorite games. Skyrim, the Elder Scrolls games, um, man, I was I I was level twenty in Elder Sc- in a, in Skyrim before I even attempted like the main quest. Huh. It's just so many so many things to do, and it's just everything is just everything in that game is is done well in terms of story, mm-hmm. and like The Witcher, The Witcher Three, a game I, I I have yet to finish, but I find like all these side quests with 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 writing and stories that are on par to something that would be considered a main quest in another game. Right. Mm-hmm. They're just such a delight to play. Like you, you go through the land, you're just like trying to find uh, another store, another storyline to finish. Like even if they're short and they're sweet, they're, they just have this entire arc of a story that 
is so fulfilling that you you just keep wanting keep wanting to go off the beaten path to see if you can find more. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So yeah, like video uh, video games for me were were a big thing. Um, they were definitely <laughs> what shaped my existence and. Uh, <laughs> Growing up as a as a as a kid, like I said, my my parents were very strict. My you know very strict with video games. I would have to like borrow my friend's game. Like played I played my first Pokemon game on a borrowed uh, Game Boy Color oh, with a borrowed know. cartridge, and I would like you know you'd hide the comic book in the books. <laughs> I would hide the Game Boy in the books. I'd hide it under my mattress, and then at night, like when the parents went to sleep, like just play for hours. Um, <laughs> And so, like, yeah, I didn't have um, a lot of the, like, I, I played all the systems, but that's because I probably just borrowed them and, uh, like, hid them and made sure my parents didn't know I had them. Sorry, parents, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, my, my, my parents went to the point, went through all the trouble of, like, we had, you know, those big TVs, fat TVs back in the day where you put your hand behind it and it was hot. You know, someone mm-hmm. was playing it. Was, was using it. <laughs> My parents would just like put the, put like, you know, make sure they would do always do the check. <laughs> right. And then I would, I would, I would outsmart them by putting the fan right up against there. And then eventually they would just hide the entire thing. And then I would, <laughs> I would find their hiding place, play, put it back before they even came back. And then they realized this is not going to stop him. So they just left it there and dared me to touch it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which was more effective than you might actually think. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Trinidad was, Trinidad, um, it's a beautiful place. It's a, it's a beautiful country. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's, and I think there's benefits to having things a little later than the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we've caught up, we've caught up now, but it allowed you to, really use what was there and take advantage of what was there and, and, and really appreciate what was there. Okay. Well, I have a question. So is there any, um, homegrown Trinidadian geek culture? Huh? Um, you know, as I said, a lot of, um, we didn't have like the internet wasn't really big for mm. a while. So you, you have to actually be, in a place where, oh, I remember one time, like, I was trying my hand at drawing manga, or drawing anime, or just, like, tra- drawing a character. I can't remember what the character was. And I was at lessons, uh, math lessons, mm-hmm. after school, and they had these kids from other from different schools who would come there just for math lessons as well, and I was sitting there trying, and then this girl would ask, like, hey, do you draw that? And then, you know, we got into this huge, this long discussion about anime and stuff, and it's like, that's usually how that happened is mm. um, someone you, you see, you bump into someone at like a, a video game, one that video game place and you start talking or you, you re, you're reading a comic or you print out um, you have printouts of like video game magazines or something and they see you and they're like, Oh my gosh, that's really cool. And then you, you start talking that that's the way, or you were just best friends. You were best friends with some with people who were involved in it anyway. And so you had mm. your ready-made clique. Um, right. now, nowadays we, we, we're more, again, it's more streamlined. You have the internet, so you have a lot of places and you know, a lot of, um, people can meet up online with their similar interests. We start having, um, anime conventions too. Mm. Oh, wow. I don't even think that was a thing when I, when I left, huh. um, 
we we they call it alias i don't know what the show what it stands for but it's it's a their yearly their annual um anime convention where people cosplay you know they you know go see yeah i guess do typical anime convention things mm-hmm. so oh, it's that's pretty awesome yeah so that that's basically it you know Wow. But I well I wouldn't. But are there any like uh, local authors or anything like that that are just popular, pretty much only in Trinidad, and that most people outside of Trinidad wouldn't know about? Um, you know, I'll be honest. I do not know. Like I know it's okay. I ha- it's it's been a while. Like I I can tell you at the time when I left. Before I left, I was very interested in in homegrown things. Like we had. Um, I don't even think this is this became more than just a, a pilot. I guess we had well a pilot in terms of comics. Anyway, um, we had a guy who was um, creating this comic book, mm-hmm. and oh, I can't even remember what it was about too. But it, I remember being very very intrigued about it and like wanting to see more. Like you have a lot of people who are creative creatives in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the overall theme is you know how do you stay true to yourself and you know in terms of like your influences because a lot of people are influenced by american culture american mm. um art art artistry etc um i'd say i've read a couple of 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 novels like trinidad has um we have a lot of contemporary great like novelists like uh contemporary novelists but I again, I haven't seen anyone written much about, you know, just our folklore, our you know supernatural things. Mm-hmm. I know they exist because I've seen them on Amazon, mm-hmm. right? But I, I like if the only reason I, I the only reason I know they exist is because I was actually searching for folklore um, nonfiction books to to research new research from, right? And so it's like I don't think it's they're they're very um, they have a very huge pop following rather mm. so I, I can't really attest to what's happening now but back when i left at least there wasn't really much of that mm. not that there wasn't anyone doing it or trying it or attempting it you know it's just that it wasn't something that was like a like a a, a ground a groundbreaking like um phenomenon as it were i i always like to find out if there's anything uh when we're talking to people from different countries about what's, you know, what's special about their country's uh, geek culture, because I find every country does have something special. People aren't always aware of it or, you know, mm-hmm. again, sometimes it's just small local things and such, yeah. but it's, the world is a big place. And there's all kinds of cool stuff going on all over the place. Just Absolutely. Some, yeah. some stuff just hasn't, you know, hasn't made it out to common culture yet. Even though the, even though we have the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're 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 right up under America here, man. <laughs> right, for better well, or for worse. Well, yeah. we we Canadians have the same problem. Uh, we're we're too influenced by the United States culture wise. So we even with Canadian content rules, which I mentioned earlier, yeah, you know, about seventy eighty percent of what <laughs> we watch is definitely American. Mm. Yeah. And that, you know, remaining 20%, a lot of that's actually British. It's not Canadian either. <laughs> oh, wow. Sure. Except for music. Oh. Oddly that's enough, true. Canadian music does tend to be really popular in Canada. Hmm. 
Well, I would hope it would be. Canadian content rules help there, too. We do have those. Some people say it's a side effect of the winter. Because when you have a winter, you're strapped indoors with nothing else to do. So we have a lot of musicians. Mm. Dude, Um, I visited winter. I I visited winter once. No, that's not at all what I meant to say. I visited Canada once, uh, Alberta. It was the summertime. Mm. But what, like... Why is why is your summer our fall? <laughs> I, that's that's the one bone I have to pick. Like, why is your summer our fall or spring or early spring? Like, it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be so cold at that time of year anywhere. In my humble humble opinion, this guy's a guy from the Caribbean who enjoys warmth. Yeah, well, that's that's Alberta in southern mm-hmm. Ontario where we are right now. We're about to actually have a heat wave in the next couple of days where it's going to be solidly in the, like the mid thirties for the next week or two. Yeah. Mid thir- um, oh, are you guys Celsius as well? Yeah, we yeah. use Celsius. Right? Okay, cool. Trinidad also uses Celsius. Not unlike my, my adoptive homeland. At I was going to say every reasons. civilized country on the planet uses the uh, <laughs> metric system. There's only like, I, and I, I, there's only like the United States. And I think there's two small nations in Africa that use, um, the uh, imperial system and that's it <laughs> i mean americans also call football soccer so there's that too yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. that's that's another that's another thing like i mean give me and then there's baseball instead of cricket i mean they're not the same thing just named mm-hmm. differently no. it's just i prefer cricket better it's what we do hmm. uh, well, and then <laughs> yeah. Actually, I just saw people playing cricket yesterday. I was walking through my local park, and there were a couple uh, Indian immigrants playing cricket together. I mean, that's like wow. that's the kind of thing. Me being up here in the United States is something I want to find for my kids when mm-hmm. I eventually have them. They're not here yet or planned, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, yeah, like you know, we have up here. Like I've seen, we go to our local like you know music festival or something, and there's like a steel band playing you know but a group of kids a group of people with like playing individual steel bands as a as an orchestra kind of thing like, ah, like as an orchestra like mm-hmm. um hmm. and then there's uh you know our county where we are has like a cricket league for kids so it's mm-hmm. like that's oh cool. th- that's definitely something that i'm going to have my children who are non-existent uh partake in in the future when they are existing Ooh. Wait a sec. Is cricket big in Trinidad? Wait, what? Is water wet? <laughs> oh, okay. No, sorry. Again, ignorant foreigner here. Um, no, so cr- I- cricket is like our cricket is our is our national like how baseball is a national pastime. Cricket is our national pastime. We oh, okay. um, we don't have a, a Trinidadian cricket team. Uh, we have the West Indies. Like all the Caribbean islands have one team for world mm-hmm. matches. You know. Okay. Like we have our like intra league, we have our Trinidad team. We have individual like Trinidad. Other Caribbean Caribbean islands have their teams, but they don't they don't play on the world stage. Mm-hmm. On the world stage, all of the the Caribbean islands have one team, so you find players right. on that team from a bunch of different islands. Right, hmm. but the islands normally have their own teams that play against each other. Yes. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's similar here in Canada. We have our Canada's huge, of course, mm-hmm. um, and so each province has their own hockey teams because hockey is our national sport. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, then they play against each other and such. And there's the National Hockey League. And then when the Olympics comes around, they take the best of the players from all the different teams. They combine them into one, and they form Voltron. I mean, they form <laughs> a uh, 
they form a uh, the, uh, a hockey fighting um, monster, um, <laughs> which is actually not an exaggeration. Did you know that up until the early night? I think it's the is it early nineteen nineties somewhere in the nineteen nineties. Okay, in the mm-hmm. Olympic Winter Olympics. Okay, when the Winter Olympics came around, now. Every t- every country sends its hockey team, okay? Yeah. Up until the 1990s, when Canada sent its team, Canada didn't have to play until the finals. <laughs> it was it was just assumed that they were the final boss, so they didn't they didn't make them play for any of the other games. Really? Canada just was the final boss. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's no uh, there's no more fitting a final boss in Canada in terms of hockey. I think. <laughs> Well, the Russians are pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I hate to admit it. The Russians are pretty good. But the um, but yeah, we for a long time. Now we do. Now we do have to play like everyone else. We usually win, but we're but we're you have we to play. earn your spot there, I guess. <laughs> but we have to but, but we do have to earn our slot. And occasionally there are some nail biters here and there. Oh, but, um, oh wow. So like so you're saying Russia is like your Shao Kahn to Canada's Shang Tsung. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> There, gotcha. there are evil, um, you know, counterparts on the other side of the Arctic, you know, <laughs> and um, we, you know, we spar with them on a regular basis. It's just no one hears about it because you know no one cares. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so actually, Russians are awesome. I like Russians. We, we, we even had one on the show a couple, couple episodes ago. Um, and so, there's another plug, folks. If you get the chance, listen to our episode where we're please with everyone, please everyone listen. To the Department of Nerdly Affairs, just do it. I think this is my this is my subtle, like velvety voiced <laughs> endorsement. Okay, you know, we use that as part of our advertisement. Before we talk about your podcast, Don, did you have any, anything else you want to ask Justin? Well, I found it. Um, I was wondering what you think because you mentioned uh, you're into into how stories progress, mm-hmm. and you talk about the video games because I've noticed in the last five years, maybe ten, it seems like the video game plots get more detailed and complex. Whereas when you look at say movies and television, they seem to be stripping everything down to their more basic elements. I'm wondering, have you noticed something like that lately or I no, I absolutely have. It's the triple a mentality of video games. It's like the moment that it, it started the moment that, you know, cutscenes were voiced or voice acting became more prevalent in, um, in video games and then you know of, oh we can have the characters have voices oh we can give those voices personality oh we can actually craft and i think i think it's more of um the fact that video games are more of an interactive media mm. that there's so many different um so many different like endings or different ways or, or plot lines or or things that stories can go to um i'll give you an example um, I don't know if you guys know about this video game, Detroit Become Human. No, probably not. You're going. This is like this game blew me away. Um, so it's it's mainly it's mainly like a uh, walk around ish point and click. Not really point because you use the the controller to control the characters. You go around, interact with things. Um, it's basically about androids. Like mm. androids are part of human society. Um, they're used from everything from like you know. Construct. They take over all immediate, the the menial labor or, or physical labor, which puts actual people out of jobs, and you know they become that integrated into human life. And you play the part. You play the part of three androids. Um, 
And the plot is them breaking away from their protocol and becoming quote unquote deviant Mm -hmm. and what that deviancy means for them in particular. And you can play these characters differently. Mm -hmm. These characters can die at any point in the story and the story moves forward without them. And basically every time you finish a segment, like you have choices in a segment, every time you finish a segment, you're shown a flow chart which includes with, with only the choices you made lit, uh, lit up. Mm-hmm. And you, so you can see the all branch, like you see the share amount of branching things that could have happened in that one scene had you chosen or played differently. Hmm. It's, an, it's an amazing game. I, I suggest, you, I, I recommend it, highly recommend it. Um, I played it through once being the good guy because, you know, I'm, that's where I tend to lean. I'm, I'm, I'm lawful good. Uh, so, but I plan on going back and just making every single awful decision, awful decision <laughs> I could possibly make and probably get characters killed. Um, there's a lot of action sequences too with, uh, like quick time events, but I digress going back to your, your point, Don. Um, yeah, I have noticed it. I, I do think that it's it, in my personally, my personal belief is that it is because of, the very nature of video games, the amount, the sheer number of people who played and experienced it, especially with, um, you know, the creatives, the creative people who are out here. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone can tell a story now. Um, mm-hmm. Not just any kind of, not just, I guess, I hate saying the word, the words Hollywood elites, I guess, but like anyone can tell a compelling story with the, with, you know, with through video games. Um, and you see, you see it in their their graphics. Like they 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 spend game studios spend like an inordinate amount on just lighting and new graphics engines and you know motion capture. Mm-hmm. Um, games have become like now in, almost indistinguishable to to movies. Um, so yeah, it's and movies themselves have tried to become more bare bones and like stick to a more, I guess, formulaic. Yeah thing formulaic thing uh video games you can do anything and that's why there's like there's not much of a a, a risk well there are risks clearly financial risks if your mm-hmm. your game bombs mm-hmm. but you still get sales you still get like you know people will still purchase them see people still pick them up you know you have games have their niche markets here mm-hmm. movies movies tend to flop if they're just like really really bad mm-hmm I don't know if that answers the question, but um, that's just my take on it. Hmm. That works, yeah. Because I think you might be uh, you might be onto something too. That um, because a video game you participate in, there's more of a. It's easier to get into into the story because you're making it happen. Whereas movies now, because they want such big audiences, they tend to take everything down to the lowest common denominator. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. Hmm. Yep, that's definitely true. Keep in mind, movies today are designed for international audiences. Mm-hmm. So the whole point is uh, they're supposed to be enjoyable by uh, audiences that don't speak English. Mm-hmm. And they should be uh, comprehensible by them too. So they're making movies that should work as well in Russia, in Tanzania, in uh, Chile, mm-hmm. in um, Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, mm-hmm. these movies should work everywhere because that's Hollywood's goal, right? It's yeah. the, it's those global marketing bucks and, of mm-hmm. course, China as well, mm-hmm. um, which is a big global market. So 
that's one of the reasons why they're simplifying things down because also movies are a bigger and bigger financial risk. Mm. Whereas uh, video games, as you were just talking about, Justin, are actually becoming less of a financial risk in many ways. I mean, mm. yes, there are AAA games that are still a huge financial risk and can cost huge amounts of money, but there are also lots and lots of indie games that you can use very simple uh, indie game engines that are not free, but they're fairly cheap, and then you can produce games with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's even a market for visual novels right now, and you can use uh, software that'll cost you like maybe 20, 30 bucks on Steam, uh, like Tyranno Builder or Visual Novel Maker. That's a little more expensive. You can make a game using that software and mm -hmm. your own resources and then release it for money. Mm -hmm. And you can even have like in games and things like that. It's amazing what you can do now. Hmm. Yeah, like everything's become more more accessible. Um and I don't know like I I I am of two minds about it. It's more accessible so more people more people have the opportunity to get the get their things out there, get their voice out there, get their mm -hmm. your talents out there and be recognized and that's something that, that should be should be encouraged, you know. But at the same time, you know, it it affects quality. Like you, you have so many things out there, but not all of it is, you know, what what TV execs would would consider, or video game execs would consider, you know, the cream of the crop, as it were. Mm. Mm -hmm. Definitely true. And the yeah. amount of crap that's out there, which is a lot, um, <laughs> makes it difficult sometimes for people to find the quality stuff as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And Absolutely. So, and or even turns people off. Uh, you know, indie video games, for example, when they play, if they play a few crappy ones to begin with, they decide, well, these are all crappy and they walk away from them, not realizing that there's some real gems out there, too. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, someone once said the greatest thing about the Internet is anyone can, can participate. The worst thing about the Internet is anyone can participate. <laughs> I'm going to use that somewhere. That is, that is a gem. <laughs> that is that is that is gold. Um, and. It's unfortunate. I don't call it gold. I call it a truism, unfortunately, because no. that's just kind of the way it is. And yeah, I did definitely not come up with that. I've stolen it from somewhere. I've just forgotten who. Oh well, I'll attribute it to that um, unknown person. Yeah, like exactly. I've always, like I always do, apparently. Yeah, well, there we go. Yeah, there are, uh, and who knows? Maybe that unknown person will befriend you on Facebook six years from now and say, hopefully, "Hey, that was me." Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, hey, I like to give credit where credit is due, man. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, a dude, a chick, walk into a studio? What's up with that? Well, <laughs> yes, we have a brand. My my, co uh, let me start off by saying, uh, you may uh, you may know all this stuff happening in America right now, and um, w no matter what side of the aisle you're on, it's mm -hmm. it's it's overwhelming. You know, mm -hmm. it's every day there's something going on. Every day there's like something bad, something that's just completely upending your day and my my friend katie and i wanted to we were actually searching for a podcast that would you know just get us away from that and just like basically just lose ourselves essentially and so we figured why not do our thing like why not we have good banter i hope um <laughs> no we have good banter and so we just decided to just try it a dude and a chick walk into the studio um we made it our duty to our potential listeners to provide a fun, relaxing, educational, and chill entertainment experience. Just 
talking about topics, life topics through the lens of just two geeky individuals, you know, um, our first episode is coming out in the first week of July and that episode, um, you get the sneak peek. It's about marriage. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. basically telling our, telling our stories, how we, uh, how we met our, how we met our partners and, you know, the things we learned about marriage, the things we wish we knew, Hmm. um, through just through our lens Our we just want to make, like, we, we were not tackling politics. We're leaving that to, you know, the, the people who are paid to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but we just figured that we would try to talk about things that, that interested us and that would, you know, we would always want to find out about from each other, our perspectives on things. And um, maybe even just talk about several topics that interest us. Like um, I'm hoping to do one on audio dramas. I'm hoping to do one on like video games and just video games in general. Um, I'm hoping to do one on, you know, Doctor Who, because, hey, we're both Doctor Who fanatics. Um, She more so than I am. Uh, Yes. (laughs) But... um, yeah, like we we have a lot of co- we have a lot of great conversations in passing, mm-hmm. and we think we have we think we we think people would be interested in hearing what we have to say, and that's not to toot my own horn or to toot our horns. It's just you know we want to be we want to leave some good in the world. We want to just mm-hmm. if, if if for a moment take you away from from the the stuff that's happening in the world right now and if right. we can if we can do that and we can help you with that and and you can you're entertained by our shenanigans <laughs> we we you know we call that a success you know okay um hmm. so where can our audience uh listen to this show where can they find it uh right now it is available on itunes and google play music uh, just search search a dude and a chick walk into a studio and uh, we're we're searchable. So we are on iTunes and Google Play Music. Just search a dude and a chick walk into a studio. Um, we're both we're we're up on both of those platforms. You can find us on Facebook at Dude and Chick Podcast. Um, just feel free to like our page. You know we'll be sharing things that we talk about on the on the podcast. We'll be doing video extras. Um, basically get a glimpse into, into our little noggins here. Well, I have a big noggin. She, she's, she has a small one. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, on Twitter at dude, chick show, dude, chick show. Pretty simple. Excellent. Now, hmm. if someone wanted to find, um, your, some of your audio drama that you did, are they still available? Are they still anywhere on the internet that people can find them? Um, I have a website that I just have lingering around here. It's not, there's nothing really. <laughs> on there it's just there for like you know my own purposes but there it is on um sando savant.com S-A- okay yeah s-a-n-d-o s-a-v-a-n-t sando savant.com uh when you go there there's a tab called creations just click on that and you'll see audio dramas mm-hmm. click on that and you'll be directed to you know, you'll be directed to the audio dramas I have up there. And you can, you know, feel free to listen. Feel free to share. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're just there. For, they're there to be entertaining. They're there to um, just, you know, bring light. Like, if you enjoy it um, as much as I enjoyed making it, you know, just shoot me a line and say, 
hey, you know, I listened to it or not. But mm-hmm. um, it's 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 something I, I, I did for myself. And I, I, I'm glad I'm just so blessed that people actually liked it. Right. You know. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Sandosavants.com. Right. The creations tab and click audio dramas. Now, are hmm. both episodes of Project Arclight up there? Um, yes, actually, I just had to Ooh. check that. Uh, yes, both pro- both episodes of Project Arclight are on there. I will. Um, Very I'll cool, because actually... I never heard the second one. I remember hearing the first one, but not the second. So I'd like to hear that. Okay, cool. Like, yeah. So it's it's. I would I would love to hear your opinion of it because you know I I I value your opinion as it were. Okay, um, thank you. Uh, and and Dom, you too. Please, please listen, 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 listen. That one I want to hear because I'm curious to see how you translate something that's essentially visual into something strictly audio. Well, ah, I wish we had more time. That is an art form. That is a. Um, Mm. was a is a passion of mine too it's it's all through um script writing and the use of sound effects and and mm. music because you you can portray things like you know sometimes when you're you're you watch anime and you have the exp, exp, explainer character mm-hmm. the character's like oh he just used that sword technique that sword <laughs> technique does such and such and such you know and it's like it just seems completely out of place with like okay we, we see what it does mm-hmm. but in audio drama it's you don't have anything else so that that explainer character mm-hmm. is is almost like welcome and oh, it's if, pretty much required. Yeah, and 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 if you do it in such a way where it's like it's not like I'm just saying what it does, I'm explaining its intricacies to somebody. Like you always have a foil character who does not know or who mm. is a beginner or a novice. Hmm. So there's always a reason to, and there's even just saying like you know, oh, I was on the phone. If it's not clear, if you're not clear on how to make that happen via audio drama or make that clear via, via audio drama a, mm-hmm. a, a, a well-timed or well-positioned um comment from one character uh he's on the phone like just something mm-hmm. simple you know yeah. would, would, would huh. get would get that point across without without intruding too much into into the the believability and the immersion you know mm-hmm. Yep, that was something that both Justin and I had a bit of a passion about is because even when I did my own stuff, I was always looking for how do I find something that you shouldn't be able to do in audio drama and do it anyway. Because <laughs> that, that's the fun part, right? That's the challenge of being an audio engineer and coming up with ways to, and a writer, and to find ways to combine that and produce an audio drama experience that they're not going to find anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I, I definitely suggest... Um... Uh, project art light um if you want a more complete story go to butajin like it that's all mm-hmm. of the all of the episodes are up on sanasavon.com as well mm-hmm. um they like they were they were uh, i'm not sure if the legend of zelda is up on there but i'll i'll make sure and put that one up there if it's not mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know it's it's a passion of mine and you know if it makes your day any brighter if it makes your guests your your listeners day any brighter just to hear you know just a story and um my take on it and you get to see how how these things work you know mm-hmm. huh. and on that note thank you very much for coming on Justin we really appreciate you yeah. taking the time and telling us about your experiences and your life and about Trinidad as well I really appreciate that with you guys thank you so much for having mm-hmm. me 
Okay. Yeah. Good night, folks. Tune in next time when we'll be talking about something almost as awesome as this. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!